Welcome to another episode here at the Masculine Health Solutions Podcast. Today, I had the utmost pleasure of interviewing Luke Chow. Luke is a licensed hypnotherapist from Toronto who is the founder of the Morpheus Clinic. He has thousands of hours of helping people get over phobias, fears, and basically just succeeding in life in different arenas. Now, he breaks down how he uses hypnotherapy to basically break down these different phobias or these issues that these people may have. He also discusses how he can use it in regards to rectal difficulties. Guys, this episode is a banger. So you definitely want to pay attention to this one. The other thing we talk about is the importance of masculinity, healthy masculinity. And he also brings up... Uh, probably one of the most surprising yet true best masculine figures in cinema (laughs) so guys you want to stay tuned for this one and be sure to follow luke i got all the links to his different social media and youtube and his website in the description below so guys without any further ado let's talk to luke Welcome to another episode here at the Masculine Health Solutions Podcast. Today, I got Luke Chow, and he's going to break down hypnotherapy for us and basically show us how to harness, you know, all that good positive energy we have to basically overcome any of the issues that need to be overcome. (laughs) Thank you for having me, CJ. Uh, It is a pleasure to have you here. We had some technical difficulties, but you know what? Finally, it worked its way out. Like I was telling Luke, sometimes Murphy's Law just does that to us. But, you know, I am, you know, we're blessed to have Luke here. So, guys, make sure you pay attention. This is a good one. Going to probably have to take notes later on. Lord knows I will. <laughs> but, Luke, first and foremost, tell us what made you get into hypnotherapy, man? Yeah, well, I, I was just explaining that my degree is in English literature and there are no obvious career paths after an English lit degree. So I was looking at sort of private certifications I could take after my degree. And um, among my earlier life interests was hypnotherapy um, and how to kind of alter your state of consciousness naturally to, um, to adopt new ideas or to kind of change your perspectives. So I took a certification program shortly after graduating. Didn't really do much with the certification, but I did kind of become a workshop junkie and take a lot of workshops and seminars and read a lot of books and kind of piece together my own um, education in hypnotherapy. Um, I took a uh, meditation retreat lasting two weeks uh, or 10 days actually um, in 2006 came back basically fearless and rented out literally this office I'm sitting in right now in 2006, September 1st. And since then, I've had um, over 7,000 people walking through our doors. I've had a number of associates, so it wasn't just me seeing these 7,000 people. Um, Launched a few careers, trained a few dozen students, and you know, at, at, at this point, 15 years later, um, hypnotherapy is the only, the, the only thing I've really known as an adult. So, yeah, that's gotcha. that's the backstory. I love that, man. And I was going to ask you this earlier too, but I kind of wanted to surprise you with this one: is what has been your favorite success story out of all the people that you've trained? I know you probably got tons, but yeah, well, I'm. The hard part is trying to come up with just one and also (laughs) one where i'm not going to violate confidentiality um but i i would say that you know it's actually quite common um for someone to come in and listen for a couple of hours with an open heart to good ideas and then after an hour or a couple hours of listening their mind is set that they're done with tobacco or that they're done with their ex or that, um, you know, all the fears that they used to have about say public speaking were only appropriate in middle school and high school. But now that they're the chief executive of their company, (laughs) they're actually (laughs) legitimately an adult and an expert and a 
good communicator. And that truth is not going to change. So, I mean, hypnotherapy sort of has a an unearned reputation for kind of deceiving or tricking people, but 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 th- th- that's not the best practice. The best practice is to get the client to fully embrace the reassuring truths or the empowering truths gotcha. that are clear and evident that the world will kind of back up. That, that, that's how someone can listen for a couple hours and then be, be, be set. And it's because they're then grounded in the truth. So I, I'm not really giving you a specific case, but I would say no, that yeah. um, everyone who was able to change so quickly, everyone who was able to kind of clear their minds of outdated ideas to ground themselves in the current and ongoing realities, every single one of them. Um, I love that. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's the kind of stuff that kind of gets me psyched because it's all about rewiring the brain almost to just kind of, hey, you can go out and do it. And hearing somebody that A is doing it, like I just honestly, I'm gushing because I love that. (laughs) I I, I have to give credit to my clients because, you know, often we see ourselves as being educated until the age of 18 or until the age of 25 or 30. And then we're kind of set. But but those who come in here seeking guidance, they kind of recognize they're able to learn new perspectives, new attitudes, even a new worldview at whatever age they're at. And so they they, they not only go out of their way, but they, they kind of do see themselves as lifelong learners. And that way they're not stuck with beliefs that only made sense in the eighties, or that they're not stuck with a worldview that hasn't (laughs) been updated since. So I I give them full credit. Um, You know, the, the, the fact that some people can change in a fairly small number of sessions is more with credit to the client than with credit to me. I'll I'll take credit for a few hours of talking, but I must give them credit for everything they do, like quitting smoking for, for years or for life. Yeah. Because that's that's all um, uh, up to them. I love that, man. And I was going to ask you as well. Uh, what are the what is some of the mysticism and some of the craziness that you hear in regards to hypnotherapy? Like for people that are unresearched and they think, oh, this is like a Las Vegas stage where you know I'm going to be squawking like a bird, <laughs> just yeah. doing some random thing. Like, yeah. what is the truth of hypnotherapy? And um, just break down basically what it actually does and how it works. Sure. Um, the, there are several questions in there that I'll kind of try to answer one at a time. Um, so, so first of all, stage hypnosis is the application of hypnosis, the same state of mind I, cl- I put my clients in, gotcha. except on stage for entertainment, the hypnotist gets people to accept bizarre ideas temporarily. <laughs> Whereas here, as I had explained earlier, I'm getting my clients to accept truthful, grounded ideas that are backed up by reality and for the rest of their lives. So gotcha. no one leaves a Las Vegas show still believing they're a dog. <laughs> that would be weird. So there is no lasting effect, even if what you see on stage is quite dramatic. Whereas here, what you see is not as dramatic because I'm you know, reassuring someone that yes, they're actually a good uh, highway driver or actually they're a good public speaker. So it's not flashy, but um, I am grounding the client in the truth, which means the beliefs they leave here with are reinforced by daily living and don't fall apart in the face of of, of their lives. So I would kind of summarize what I do as a hypnotherapist as that um, I'm using my words to guide the client through their inner worlds so that they do become grounded in the reassuring truth or the inspiring truths or the motivating truths. And, gotcha. you know, I, I do very much believe that much of the distress that people come in here with um, is because of some degree of falsehood that they've come to believe in. Mm. Like if they believe they need a cigarette when they're stressed, well, if you're, not, you're, if you're a non-smoker, you know how much of a lie that is. Yeah. People, need a break. <laughs> people need a friend, people need a partner, people need to vent, people need to hear a kind word sometimes, but no one needs a cigarette. Um, And, you know, much of the fear and doubt and worry that people have um, is no longer grounded in in the current station of of life that they're in. So, yeah, that's how I would summarize it. I love that. And um, another thing, obviously, we want to focus more on the male aspect, but 
just um, out of curiosity's sake, though, how what is the most common thing that you know you see a lot of people just show up for? Is it usually phobias? Is it trying to get over the past? Like, what is the most uh, I guess common reason people come to see you? <laughs> well, I, I haven't done an analysis for a while, but the last time I analyzed it, um, smoking cessation, weight loss, and fears gotcha. were half of our clientele. And the other half is just a long tail of random miscellaneous issues that can all be categorized as um, benefiting from a change in perspective. And um, still, um, traditionally, people associate hypnotherapists as people who get you to quit smoking and lose weight and overcome phobias. So I think because of that stereotype, that's who we tend to attract the most of. And when it comes to weight loss, because I'm curious for this one, I'm, I, you know, I think you'll probably get a bunch of bodybuilders that are going to come see you in the near future. But <laughs> uh, when it comes to weight loss, is it just kind of limiting beliefs that you find that are usually holding people back? Or how does it work? Yeah, um, so I work within the realm of belief change. So if I do, or if the client does identify a limiting belief, that, that's an obvious target. Um, so as much as I can, I want to give the client the mindset and the, and the worldview of someone who doesn't have the problem they have. So, you know, some people successfully lose weight and they maintain a healthy lifestyle. So I want to be thinking in terms of what does a healthy person think when they're facing a pile of snack food? What does a healthy person think when they don't want to get out of bed at 6am to go for their morning jog? Yeah. So I think in terms of solutions, I think in terms of, you know, how does a healthy person think in this situation? And that's the, the ways of thinking that I communicate to my clients while they're in hypnosis, which is an open-minded, inwardly focused state, allowing them to accept new ideas more readily. So just to pick some examples, um, someone who uh, has a healthy lifestyle, they don't see themselves battling their bodies. They see their bodies as an ally and a friend. So they have a generally positive view of their own bodies. So um, that also helps with, you know, good self-talk. So, you know, someone who, you know, might struggle with their weight, often the self-talk is quite adversarial. But someone who can get up at 6 a.m. to go for their morning jog, rain or shine, the self-talk is more like an athlete. It's more, yeah. I can do it. Um, you know, I, I, I can overcome my challenges. So as much as I can, I kind of look at these models of healthy thinking and then communicate these ways of thinking to my clients. That is so interesting, man. That's kind of like... I mean, it's going to lead into my next question, but when it comes to athletic performance, it's the one thing we were always told, like, you know, visualize, see it, talk to yourself that you can do it and all that. And now it's almost like you're, uh, the way I kind of see it, my interpretation is like, you're going in my subconscious mind and kind of realigning things to kind of be set up. You know, it's almost like you're coaching from the inside, but it's you, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there, there, there are different models that kind of explain the mind or that kind of explain how hypnosis works. And, and one of them is that we have a conscious mind and we have a subconscious mind. And some models will also describe an unconscious mind, whereas other models have just the conscious versus the unconscious. Um, for a hypnotist, I actually don't talk very much about the subconscious or the unconscious because by, oh, wow. <laughs> by, def- by definition, the unconscious mind is outside of conscious awareness. Gotcha. So we're kind of on shaky ground whenever we speak definitively or confidently about something that we can't really perceive directly. Mm, there, gotcha. there is theory and speculation, but interestingly enough, I, I can explain hypnosis and practice hypnosis without the concept of the subconscious or unconscious mind and still do a good wow. job. Um, so, so far until you brought it up, I, I haven't mentioned the subconscious mind. I, I yeah. talked about learning inwardly. I talked about taking two new ideas. Yeah. But I didn't talk about the subconscious mind because I, I find it, it sometimes unnecessarily um, clouds a person's understanding of hypnosis. Yeah. And I also want to point out that um, historically, um, hypnosis predates Freud. Oh, so okay. Yeah. People have been practicing hypnosis since <laughs> before the unconscious or subconscious mind were was really brought up. Yeah. Exactly. So it's actually not necessary to involve um, an uh, um, understanding of the subconscious mind in your 
in, in an explanation of how hypnosis works. Dude, that is so interesting. <laughs> that just blew away my theory <laughs> or my hypothesis, I guess, the way I was kind of looking at it. That is, that is so interesting, well, man. I mean, it, it's not to invalidate any kind of model of how hypnosis works that does yeah. incorporate the subconscious mind. Because um, th th there is value in recognizing that we aren't aware of all of our drives and impulses and thoughts. That is truthful. So my stance isn't that there is no unconscious mind. My stance is it's kind of in the dark. So anything we say about it is kind of speculative. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, that's, I mean, that is mind blown. <laughs> but uh, leading up to my next question then was, uh, what are you seeing guys for more than anything? Like, what, what are you seeing more with, you know, the dudes now, you know, your modern man, what is he coming to you? What are the questions he has? Uh, what are the yeah. problems he's got? Well, it's the same set of issues, essentially, that I think women have. So, you know, it is a lot of smokers, a lot of weight loss, a lot of fears, phobias, fear of public speaking, fear of driving, and, and, and so on. But if we kind of look at um, male issues that don't overlap with the issues that women present with, um, a, a topic that I have started to think a lot about and which we started talking about before we started hitting record is the idea that um, a man in today's society is not doomed to be a toxic, a so-called toxic male. Man, that yeah. to so-called toxic men are a small subset of men mm -hmm. and they've sort of been misguided by their earlier role models. But there is such a thing as healthy masculinity, as masculinity as a creative force or sometimes a protective force or otherwise a beneficial force. That power in itself is not bad because power itself can build the buildings that we live in. It, it can build you know, everything that we kind of rely upon and, and depend upon. So, um, you know, I, I know we sort of started to talk about healthy masculinity yeah. as, as a topic, but it very much, I believe, is something that has to be talked about in public because it's coming up repeatedly in private. Yeah. No, yeah, and it's, it's funny because like we were talking about before, it's one of those, I don't want to say misunderstood. I just think that the media is doing a real good job at confusing everybody to what it is, right? Which leads me to my next question. What do you think, you know, it is and what do you think is missing more than anything in kind of your modern man? Yeah. Um, well, as much as I can, just because as a professional, my, my job is to influence people for the better. Mm -hmm. And when I have a man who's, you know, questioning whether he's good enough for his wife, or yeah. when I have a man who kind of feels sapped of um, pride and confidence in himself because he believes he's kind of doomed to be a toxic male. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I um, then have the job of being a good influence on him. Mm. I, I don't think anyone should be doomed to live with shame because of something they didn't choose, because yeah. of something that they were literally born with. I mean, no one chooses to be born with a Y chromosome. It, it's pretty cruel to say <laughs> that everyone born with a Y chromosome um, is, is inherently toxic. And I know it's not everyone. I know it's not all media. I know it's mm -hmm. not all feminists. Many feminists do believe there is such a thing as healthy masculinity, and they do make yep. the distinction. So I'm only talking here about um, or against the message that masculinity is intrinsically toxic. So, yeah. so what I often find myself having to communicate is, first of all, the very concept that there is such a thing as healthy masculinity, even if it's not talked about enough, even yeah. if they haven't been able to open the Globe and Mail and read an editorial about healthy masculinity, that there is such a thing as healthy masculinity. And in many ways, it's the opposite of the traits you would identify as toxic masculinity. So yeah. where toxic masculinity um, is, is destructive and hurtful. I, I mean, like, you're a man. The yep. idea of using your power on the planet to hurt and destroy, I'm going to guess that doesn't sit well with you. I'm pretty sure my wife would have left me. <laughs> 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 well, but it, it also like my guess is it feels wrong in your heart. Oh, 100%. To, yeah. To, to have the power 
that you have to kind of build, to think, to create, to lead, and then to use it to hurt or destroy. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the message I have to communicate is that healthy male traits are in many ways the opposite of the traits identified as toxic masculinity. So, um, you know, where toxic masculinity is destructive, healthy masculinity is creative. So healthy masculinity will build, it will create, it will produce. Um, and where toxic masculinity, you know, feels kind of, um, you know, like there's a sense of superiority or that there is a sense of, of, of unearned uh, dominance. Um, healthy masculinity, you know, promotes teamwork. So like guys on a football team or guys working on a construction crew, if they're healthy males, they're not playing power games. If they're healthy males, they're working with each other. They each understand their roles. They each understand what's important. And they get together to, to build a house or to win a game yeah. or to engage in, in any other similar endeavor. And interestingly enough, sometimes when I talk about this, my, my clients tell me that they haven't heard these ideas, wow. which is insane to me. Um, especially I think among young, younger men, yeah. um, where their elementary school teachers were women, um, and their high school teachers were predominantly women and even their university, um, professors were predominantly women, um, you know, unless they're lucky. Um, so uh, unless they have a good male role model as say a, a high school coach or, or a dad, unless they're, they're lucky, sometimes they look at the toxic men say in popular culture um, yeah. Or they, or you know, who are around them, and they think they're destined or doomed to to be like them. So that's why it's important to me for, for me to say, just even in the first place, there is such a thing as healthy masculinity. Masculinity. Now that leads me into the million dollar question, Luke. So let's say for guys who have no positive role model, you know, and you know the media is not putting out too many good guys as of late. So. If I was a dude who's looking for somebody to look up to or somebody to emulate yeah. in media, who would that be? It's the million dollar question because it's so hard to answer. And <laughs> so I'm kind of teasing that I have a name in mind that I'm not speaking yet to kind of encourage <laughs> listeners to see if they can answer this question themselves. Who in popular culture or in the popular media, whether a fictional character or someone who's a celebrity, who can we all as men or as adolescents or as boys look up to and say, yes, that's the archetype of a ideal healthy male. And there are very few. So you know, popular culture often produces anti-heroes these days. Yeah. Not not heroes, not people we want to emulate, but people who've got their character flaws, people who've, you know, who are just not great role models. Like Don Draper from Mad Men is oh, often yeah. held up as an example of masculinity, but I don't really want to be like him. <laughs> so th the answer I have in mind, um, since I've, I've kind of teased it, is um, you know the movie The Lion King, right? Yes. You know The Lion King, Mufasa. Oh, that makes he, okay. Yeah, he, that makes sense. He, he's <laughs> a cartoon lion from the 1990s. I, I think that there was a recent live action, or not live action, but like an update to the yeah, movie. Mufasa from The Lion King. He's a he's a cartoon lion, but he embodies all the qualities wow. I would want to emulate. As a man, um, so he can be playful with Simba. He can be quite lighthearted, but also when necessary, the claws oh, yeah. come out and he's willing to be vicious. Or I guess you could also say like mature Simba at the end of the movie yeah. is an example of, you know, fully coming in, into one's masculinity. Um, but other than Mufasa from The Lion King, <laughs> I actually can't think of any. <laughs> examples <laughs> from popular culture of, of of men we can all we can all emulate i mean we've got like mr rogers who's you know who embodies the kind gentle side of men but we never see him with claws out yeah right 
but we have like James Bond, but he's not a great role model. I wouldn't leave him alone with my girlfriend. No. <laughs> so like, but you know, Mufasa, we can all trust. We can all emulate. And I think, you know, it's not just boys and men who can see Mufasa as an archetypal example of a healthy male. I think it's also women. Yeah. Yeah. I can dude, also like... understand Mufasa as like the ideal male where if, if they were with someone like that, they would feel safe. They would feel protected. They, they would feel like they trust the person they're with. That is freaking like, honestly, I'm, I'm wrapping my head around how it makes perfect sense, right? Because it's kind of like, I believe in masculinity as well. My point of view has always been, you know, you got to provide, protect, and you got to progress, right, as a male. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I don't know as far as progression kind of goes, but as far as protecting and providing, that was like his main role, right? Like that was his thing, you know, and he was protecting the flock. And it's, it's crazy because I'm like, well, it's not just, you know, his family. He was in charge of everything, right? And he was yeah. a good king. He was taking care of society. He was making sure everything was well balanced. And we mm -hmm. see how Scar comes in and basically he's the opposite of that and everything just falls apart. Exactly. Exactly. That is a crazy analogy. <laughs> but the, the, the last point you brought up, which is to compare Mufasa with Scar, because they're brothers, right? Yeah. So they, they are from the same family. They basically have the same genes. Yet Scar chose a very different path. With, hit, with the power he has, he chose to, to kill and to hurt yeah. and to destroy. Yet Mufasa wow. didn't. And you could also see how the kingdom flourished under Mufasa. Yeah. And, uh, degraded under scar it's almost like now you mention it's like masculinity toxic masculinity you know <laughs> exactly which but it's the only example that i can think of i, I literally can't oh the, the other example actually i can think of is and i haven't watched this movie for a long time so i might have a romanticized view of it and it's from i think like the 1940s but you, you know the sound of music oh yeah 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 captain Warner. von trapp yeah von captain trapp, von trapp yeah. right he does yeah. he can disarm a nazi with his bare hands. <laughs> yeah, but and he kind of he's also people. a leader. He's also a family man. He's also like a trustworthy guy. He, he's a good leader. Yeah. Um, but we have to think like to the 90s or the 40s. Wow. I mean, honestly, it's... Yeah, because like we were talking about before when you asked me this question, I was like, well, you know, I can think of a lot of different strong characters, but they're not necessarily good, you know? Yeah. Maybe King Leonidas, I guess. He could fit under that role, I guess, a little bit more too. Because, you know, he was also a good king, good leader. Now, I mean, it comes to me, but they're far and few, man. They're far and few. Yeah, well, I, I think we do have to look in the realm of good kings or good leaders. Yeah. Because healthy masculine qualities are leadership qualities. At the end of the day, yeah. They, they are qualities that inspire others to, to, to follow. I mean, power exercised well doesn't force anyone to do anything. It inspires no, others no, yeah. to follow you. So, yeah, I, I mean, so it's an interesting topic to think about. I, I don't know if you have like a comment section where people <laughs> leave a comment or, or write into, but right into, um, yeah, for more. I, I would be happy to expand my repertoire of, you know, names or figures I can point to as examples of healthy masculinity to emulate. That is, yeah, because, well, now that I think about it, it's almost like we got to see a little bit of a snapshot of every single aspect of healthy masculinity through Mufasa, a lion <laughs> of all people, right? Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, I'm, my mind is blown because, yeah, it well, makes perfect sense. Now that I'm thinking about maybe Barack Obama. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he, I guess he's he, kind of celebrity. He overcame a lot. He climbed his own mountain. He reached the top. He made hard decisions. He led. He was still a family man. Yeah, at the end of the day. And when you compare him, you know, against <laughs> some other presidents, then yeah. very clear the difference between two people in the same role. Yeah, definitely. Expresses much more of a healthy side to his leadership and to his masculinity. Another of whom expresses a much less healthy side. Yeah. Definitely. That's, I mean, as far as, yeah, modern culture kind of goes, we are limited, which um, leads me to another thing that we also discussed, uh, erectile difficulties. How are you going about, you know, helping out dudes with that? Because I know it's one of those things that keeps popping up, performance, you know. Interestingly enough, it, it ties into the theme of healthy masculinity and of some expressions of masculine 
qualities as being good. Yeah. So um, I actually pulled up in front of me one of my treatment plans that I've written oh, for yeah. a client with erectile problems. And, you know, the client can't be identified because it's basically the, the same plan for everyone who has this, this issue. And I'll go through some of these points to give you some examples of perspectives or attitudes worth adopting if one has erectile difficulties or sexual confidence problems or feelings of shame in the bedroom. So I, I, often, I often find that, well, I mean, all my clients who, who I work with, they've been seen by a urologist. They yeah. know there's nothing wrong with them physically. So everyone I see does understand their issue to be psychogenic. Um, so it's coming from anxiety or coming from shame in yeah. most cases. So, you know, I think in terms, again, of how would a healthy person in this situation be thinking? And the list of attitudes I'm going to be going through will be a list of perspectives that a sexually confident man might have. So the, the first point is a point I, I say to all of my clients of, of any gender for any issue, and that's mind over matter is very real, or in other words, the mind-body link is very real. Yeah. This is one of the premises we're working from, that, that the thoughts you hold in your head are going to be affecting the quality of your life, yeah. and it's, it's going to be affecting your mood. It's going to be affecting you know how motivated you are to achieve things. And just like when you speak to a friend supportively and encouragingly, you boost his morale and confidence. But if you speak to a friend, you know, abusively, the way many yeah. people speak to them, themselves inside their heads, you're going to lower his morale and prevent him from getting stuff done. So mind over matter is real. It's not just conversations you have with others. It's conversations you have within that make a huge difference as to your relationship with yourself. So gotcha. th that's the first basic foundational point that I, I have to communicate because everything else rests on the idea that there is such a thing as higher quality thinking that uplifts and encourages and, and comforts versus lower grade thinking that diminishes and, and, and harms and, 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 and hurts. So the, the next point to kind of counter a lot of the guilt that a lot of men feel around sex. It's that sex is a fun, exciting, relaxing, life-affirming, often playful, affectionate, and wonderful experience shared by two people. Yeah. There is no place for shame in the bedroom, and instead, when anticipating or experiencing intimacy, you can expect authentic expression of your desire to give and receive pleasure, you can expect an affirmation of your connection with your partner. Now, that's a very yeah. healthy attitude towards sexuality, which is meant to kind of counteract the, the shame that many people have. Yeah. Just to kind of make reference to, to the Lion King again, when you kind of, you know, see the, the lion and the lionesses tussling about, there is a sense of shamelessness. There is a sense of play. And I would yeah. suggest that's not just for animals in nature. In for human beings, we, we also get to embody that sense of, 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 of play and shamelessness in behind closed doors with a consenting partner. That, that's exactly the right time and place <laughs> yep. to kind of feel and embody a, a sense of, of, of play and shamelessness and authenticity. So the, the, the next point that I communicate is that Sex is one of a very few experiences in life that involve all five senses. Yeah. So food and drink are two other experiences where you'll you'll see and feel and hear and taste and and smell um, what's in front of you. And sex similarly involves all all five senses. So um, it's everything that you will see and hear and taste and feel and smell about your partner that's going to arouse you, that's going to excite you, that's going to arouse the, the passions. Um, it, it's not whatever thought might be in your head. Because whatever thought you have in your head it is in words or images alone. But yeah. what you have in front of you is a living, breathing woman who is willingly, if not eagerly, with yeah. you 
<laughs> so it's everything about her. It's it's the way her hair smells. It, it's the it's the sounds she makes when she, when you touch her. It's it's the way she makes you feel on the inside, or the way her skin feels against yours. It's it, it's the, the the way she tastes. It's it's this five sense experience of a woman that's going to turn you on more yeah. than any thought you could possibly think. Um, and in the case of my clients, sometimes even more than than medication. Because medication gotcha. is, you know, it's it, it, it's a molecule going through your bloodstream. It it yeah. helps, but if you are going to kind of um, be with your partner and be aroused, putting all five senses um, uh, on on her, paying attention to her with all five senses, is going to make a difference. Um, so a corollary to that is my next point, which is to focus all of your attention on your partner rather than your own thoughts whenever you're intimate, um, because there's not a single thought that you can think about yourself, like, you know, is it going to work? What's going to happen? <laughs> None of those thoughts are helpful in any way at all. Anytime. Are... <laughs> there's not a single thought you could think that will be as helpful um, as getting excited by your partner, focusing all your senses on her, smelling her, tasting her, touching her, making her make cute noises, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, and another point to kind of follow up with that, it's um, to become intoxicated by your partner's physical presence to the point where you are relinquishing thoughts about work and you are relinquishing your own insecurities and you are relinquishing so many of the anxious or doubtful thoughts and fears to become intoxicated by yeah. the five sense experience of being with a woman. You don't get to do this in public. You don't get to do this at work. You get to do this behind closed doors in the right time and place. So the place for thinking or analysis is outside the bedroom but inside the bedroom it is the appropriate place to feel amazing it's the appropriate place to be authentic to you know to to lean in and sniff your partner's hair <laughs> it's exactly the right place for that um in many cases i i also have to kind of um point out that um, you know, many of the emotions and actions and thoughts and feelings that would be not safe for work, that <laughs> inappropriate on a public subway, yeah. are precisely appropriate in private with in your the partner bedroom. Uh -huh. in the bedroom. So the, the message then is that a private bedroom is a rare place where you could be entirely masculine, entirely dominant, emotional, or gentle, primal, or anything else that you and your partner like. That there's no wrong way to gotcha. express yourself yeah. during sex and whatever you feel authentically, however she turns you on when your, your um, face is buried in her hair. <laughs> That is the right feeling. That, that 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 as long as it's an authentic feeling, it is right. But you have to be in your senses. You can't be in your head, in order to kind of you know be immersed or intoxicated by this five sense experience of being with a woman. I, I'm I'm using heterosexual terminology because you know I know you know at least ninety percent of your audience probably yeah, yeah for the most men. part yeah so, you know it's, it's not to kind of um it's not to exclude um gay men it's just oh, to kind of speak yeah. to the majority of of your audience um so um along with 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 that message is the idea that sex is not performance if you're thinking about kind of how you'll perform how you'll do in front of your partner you're being inauthentic. You're cutting yourself off from the wonderful feelings of total acceptance that you're supposed to be feeling during sex. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, many men with erectile problems, they unnecessarily cause um, problems by thinking of it as performance. And I know it's so embedded in the language of so-called sexual performance. Um, but sex is not a performance. You don't have to have the pressure that comes with performance. No one's watching you. I mean, if your blinds are closed, your, your door is closed, there's no cameras in your bed, then no one's watching you. There's no performance to be enacted. 
And it's supposed to be immersive. It's supposed to be a state of not caring about how you look, not caring about so-called performance. And it's, it's natural and normal instead just to completely abandon rational thinking, immerse yourself in pleasure, immerse yourself in the best parts of the sexual experience, like the sounds and the smells and the feelings and everything else that will lead. All right. Sorry about that, guys. Had a technical glitch there, but we are back. Luke, back into it. So exactly what were you talking about when you get into the moment and, you know, really harnessing all that power to, you know, really get your thing up? (laughs) Yeah, well... Present focus, present focus. Let me try that again. Present focusedness, which might be a word I literally just made up on the spot, but a focus on the present moment is pertinent to actually several of the issues we've talked about. One of them is sports performance. You don't want to care about past or future too much. You kind of want to care yeah. about what's in front of you. Um, and also for something like public speaking, you don't want to look too far ahead or you don't want to look backward. You want to kind of see what's in front of you and sexual, um, sexual, I don't want to call it performance since I just kind of was talking about how it's not a performance, but sexual activity is another situation where a present focus on all five senses is going to be a good thing. I mean, we're very smart animals. And we often focus on the very smart part without focusing um, or remembering the animal part. But, you know, through all of human history and then pre-human history, every single one of your male ancestors got it up with a woman without Viagra or Cialis. And that's a fact. So you have the same genes. You are their descendant and it's it's not anything wrong with you at least in the cases that i see Um, it's your thoughts are getting in the way your intellect is getting in the way of something that's supposed to be primal that's supposed to be animalistic that's supposed to be something you feel and experience more than that you you do or that you plan So um, one of the messages I communicate then is that when you focus on the things I'm talking about, when you focus on your partner, when you focus on the five senses, when you focus on the present moment and how great you feel, you can fully expect sexual arousal to follow. You can fully expect orgasm eventually then to follow. And I use the analogy that it's kind of like falling asleep. Your thoughts get in the way of falling asleep, but when you kind of focus on how relaxed you feel and how luxurious it is to have no expectations or demands put on you at bedtime, then sleep will come eventually. It's just a matter of time. Sleep will come to you. And with most um, bodily functions like sleep or erections, um, it's a matter of being patient with your body recognizing your, your body's a lifelong friend and a lifelong ally. It's not bad. It's not shameful. Um, you, you can't sort of will yourself to fall asleep. You can't will yourself to gain an erection. You can't will yourself to do these automatic bodily functions, but you can create the right conditions and be patient with your body. Yeah. Usually my my clients who come for sexual issues find that their partners are more accepting and more loving and more supportive of them despite sexual issues than they are of themselves. So if all they do is they're as patient with themselves as their partners are, that goes a long way. I mean, women are supposed to inspire us to be better to be more loving to to kind of you know be more in touch with our own better feelings so if you've got a naked partner in bed with you and she's telling you it's all right if she's telling you you know just take your time it's okay it's worth listening it's worth kind of letting yourself be be affected by that um and one just to kind of cap off the set of messages that i communicate pretty much to all of my clients with sexual issues um it's that no one, um, very few people 
ever actually get clear guidance as to what to think in the bedroom. So you can get guidance about, you know, what techniques to use. You can get guidance as to how to find the clitoris. But very few people seek out or receive guidance about mindset and, and attitude and what to think when you're in the bedroom. But that's exactly what I just laid out for you. Yeah. Ways of thinking that are helpful in the bedroom. And, you know, all of your listeners, I'm sure, can think of times when they've thought through these perspectives or they, they, they have these perspectives more, and then sex is easier. They can yeah. probably also think about times when they weren't as present, when they thought of sex as a performance, when you know they created unnecessary anxiety. And they can also see that the, the mm. results were not as good, where we don't even have to compare someone who's who has healthy sexual functioning with someone who doesn't. We can look at one person and they can pick out times when they were more confident and times when they weren't, and they can probably recognize themselves in what I'm saying. So once someone receives any kind of, of guidance or training or coaching, they're going to get better at it. And one of the thought loops I kind of have to prevent is the detrimental thought loop that the, that the, the client has a body that's too old. They have, the client has a disorder. The client Again, I'm talking about people who've already been medically vetted to have mm. no disorder. Yeah. Um, because if you kind of see it as your body listens very well to the thoughts that you think about it. So when you stop thinking of your body as bad or broken or dysfunctional, and you start thinking of your body as on your side, loving women, responsive to the thoughts you hold, responsive to the things you pay attention to, then your body's listening. And Again, you're the descendant of men who did not need Viagra to have <laughs> sex with their wives. So, um, yeah, I mean, earlier I've talked about how, you know, in the work I do, it's about grounding people in the reassuring truths. Yeah. That we don't have to stretch or we don't have to give people wishful thinking or a fantasy. So yeah. we kind of, you know, did a case study here with male sexuality, but um, the points I've made are, are not a stretch. It, it, it's, how you're already thinking when you feel safe with a partner it's or how you're already yeah. thinking when you know you're more easily able to gain an erection gotcha it's like priming the mind to think in the right way versus like oh man i'm uh, i don't know if i'm just gonna last uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah and you, you earlier you were talking about how an athlete needs to kind of uh, you know focus on winning exactly. rather than doing the opponent's job for them by thinking about defeat yeah so you know, with with, um, with 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 any aspect of living, uh, you know, we focused on the, the, the issues that people present with, um, but with every aspect of living, the thoughts you hold in your head make a really big difference as to the yeah. quality of your life. And that's unfortunately understated in the world because people want a pill. People yeah. want to, you know, figure out what's wrong with them so they can fix the problem. But I'm telling people there's nothing wrong with you other than that you're thinking thoughts that are detrimental to yourself and no one's guided you into thinking thoughts that are going to help you. That is huge. <laughs> that's massive because I think that's kind of, I mean, it doesn't matter what you look into, but it seems like everything kind of starts, you know, from within and then you kind of, you know, you go from there. And it's funny, too, because you mentioned, you know, the loser's mindset where certain people, it almost seems like they're just destined to lose no matter what sport they pick up. It's like mm -hmm. this guy could be doing archery today. He sucks, you know, but he gives up and he's like, oh, I suck at everything. And it almost seems like that narrative just keeps building up in their heads. Right. Yeah. There's a very good sports book called The Inner Game of Tennis. And I think the author is Timothy Galway. Okay. where he was one of the early um, writers about sports who kind of identified the so-called inner game um, or mindset gotcha. that you bring to, say, a tennis game. And, um, you know, th th there is a whole branch of uh, um, psychology, sports psychology, yeah. which I'm not really an expert in, even if I sometimes work with athletes. But, but, but yes, um, it, it is huge. I did show up here today to kind of talk about yeah. ideas that are not talked about enough, but that should be talked about for people to have healthier lives. And that's one of the biggest ones. It's, it's something I have to communicate to every new client that the mind-body link is real. The yeah. thoughts you hold in your head are going to affect 
the way you feel. So the same kinds of kind thoughts you speak to a friend are the ones you should also speak to yourself. The same kinds of hurtful thoughts you would never speak to a friend are also the kinds of thoughts you should discard for yourself. And that is, that's a pretty good starting point for anyone, I would say. Yeah. When it comes to kind of sorting out thoughts worth keeping. Damn. Yeah, man, that's massive. It's almost like you can't go anywhere if you got muddy, a muddy mind, I guess, that's just kind of full of negative self-talk and negative self-direction ultimately, because it kind of feels like, you know, if everything's kind of wrong up here, the body's just going to follow that. And it almost seems like if your compass is off, well, guess what? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's it's almost like, 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 like having your worst enemy following you around, yeah. telling you why you're going to fail, telling you the unlikely scenarios where something terrible happens. And that's all you can think of because your worst enemy is pointing out the, those untruths. So, that's... yeah, um, much, 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 much of what I end up having to do with people is to kind of first point out that they are kind of causing their own distress, and it's not necessary. And it's possible for one to cause their own comfort or their own confidence by talking to themselves in just the same ways that would inspire confidence or comfort in anybody else that's huge and it's kind of the one thing that i think is massive too it's almost like you've mentioned it a couple of times already it's like i gotta talk to him from the winner's perspective and it's almost like you got to make that alteration in the mind like hey you know forget this loser mindset you got to talk to yourself like this right and I think like, that's one thing that I'm definitely going to leave this podcast thinking about more and more about, hey, you know, I got to change the way I look at things. And things I look at will change, you know, <laughs> not to steal that quote from, uh, I forgot who it was. I think it was Shakespeare. I don't remember. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, on that note, Luke, where can we find you? Well, um, I have a YouTube channel where I have posted some free sample sessions where you can hear me talk potentially for hours about <laughs> what I do. I have a short crash course in how to do hypnosis with a friend, not really for any you know serious uh, deep issue, but just kind of for, for fun so you have some guidance. Um, the YouTube channel is at Morpheus Hypnosis. Gotcha. Um, I recently started a TikTok channel currently under the same handle, Morpheus Hypnosis, to kind of be less verbose and more concise in the points <laughs> that I want to make. Um, if, if you are in a position to work with me privately, um, it's best to contact the Morpheus Clinic for Hypnosis at www.morpheusclinic.com, and they'll set you up with an initial consultation. I'll write a treatment plan, and um, you know I tend only to say I can help someone if I can also say how. So the treatment plan is for free. And if you like the plan, it's gonna have an estimate of the cost to implement the plan. Um, and you know whether or not you decide to engage with me in any kind of paid commercial way, I, I, I hope I've been able to express some helpful ways of thinking. Um, I haven't really pulled any punches here. I haven't really held back the good stuff because I really do believe that good ideas ought to be shared and I, I'm going to be doing more podcast interviews and um, you know, you can follow our Twitter um, feed at Morpheus clinic. Um, if you want links for anything else that I'm doing in public. Gotcha. I'll be sure to post all the links in the description guys. And I know where to find you, Luke, I got all your stuff. So I'll make sure I add the links all to the description. And man, it was an absolute pleasure having you here today. And honestly, I could talk to you all day. <laughs> well, th thank you very much for having me. I, you know, I, I know that you know hypnotherapy is sort of a strange thing to a lot of people, but I, I'm glad that you invited me. That you asked some very good questions, and I had a chance to kind of talk about everything I've wanted to talk about. So, thank you very much. All right. On that note, thank you, Luke. Until the next one, guys. Stay safe. <laughs>